It's a Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories bonus episode. My name is Brian, and I have got executive producer Leif on the line uh, helping with the mailbag. The mailbag, thank you, everyone. It's getting, I, I, I won't use the term overwhelming, but there's getting to be a lot to keep up with. I, I'm very thrilled and honored and happy to answer these letters, but that's why you're getting more of these mailbag episodes, and I had to call in Leif to help me do some research this week to get some answers because we're getting backed up. So we are the story guys at gmail.com. Uh, Leif, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Uh, okay, so I sent you some stuff uh, this week to look into, and then I've got some stuff we can look at. The first, let's let's go to the mailbag first with a letter from Eric. Uh, this is a this is pertinent because it's about the show this week. Uh, most recently, we did an episode about UFO, the band UFO. <laughs> like I, I was going to ask you, how do did you have any familiarity or love of UFO before that episode? Not one single bit. <laughs> I had no clue. So, like, it, it it got me at the end, too. Like, I was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I realized during the, like, I didn't know UFO songs. Like, you could, if you had asked me last week what they, what any song that they did, I wouldn't be able to tell you. And, and there wasn't anything that seemed familiar once I dug into it. But the album covers were familiar. Um, so I've definitely seen them in record stores and stuff, but I had never really listened to them. Oh yeah, that that would be that'd be interesting to just sort of think back what all you remember from your childhood and just seeing all these record record covers and CD boxes. Well, yeah, that I mean, really interesting. And and you might be talking in in a general, but in a specific for me, there we've talked about this. There was so much music that I really only experienced in movies that I only experienced by the covers and not by actually experiencing yeah. them. So, uh, okay. So this comes from Eric. Hi, fast way is a band that I like, but I know nothing about them. Um, as you might know, they include fast Eddie Clark from motorhead and Pete way from UFO. I just wonder why that band never caught on. Do you know fast way? Have you heard that band before life? Nope, but I'm I'm from now on I'm calling myself Fast Lathe Benson. <laughs> I know. Can we are we just allowed to do that? Um, yeah, let's just give ourselves nicknames. Well, well, here's the funny thing. So it's it's Fast from Motorhead, and then it's uh, Way from uh, from UFO. That's literally how they came up with the name of the band. They smashed them together Thank Fast you. Way. Um, th- this is this is their song, baby. The biggest song they had. I mean, they they never got huge, but this is a song called Say What You Will. <laughs> Here's what I love about this band, um, besides the fact that they sound like every bar band I've ever seen. Uh, I love that this is basically like two dudes in bigger bands who got fed up with being in Motorhead and being in UFO. They just they just were like, we don't get what we want out of this. And then at some point, I'm sure they were drinking and were like, we should start our own band. And so they started their own band, but the funny part about it is that uh, Pete Way wasn't in the on the official records because he was so dissatisfied. This is like, have you ever worked with a guy who was like, I hate this place, uh, and then they give him a promotion and he sticks around and then he gets another job offer and then he leaves immediately after he gets the promotion? Like That's a, sort of what happens because Pete Way uh, gets an offer to go play with Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> after he's already agreed to form this band with Fast Eddie Clark and he just bolts. So he like never, he's in it, but I don't think he's actually 
on the records, which is funny. You you got to take up an offer when when Ozzy comes calling. You gotta you gotta say, hey, I don't want to be in my ZZ Top sounding band. I'm gonna go be with the, I'm gonna go be with Ozzy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I don't think I think most people would have taken that deal, right? If Ozzy Osbourne calls you, but uh, that's that's hilarious because they so there's other they get the guy the drummer from Humble Pie, he's in this band, uh, J- Jerry Shirley. And they get this guy, Dave King, who's at the time unknown. Pete Way was having trouble the whole time because he was in a recording contract with Chrysalis under UFO. And Chrysalis like, wasn't letting him out of the recording contract. And so he ends up not lasting. Um, so that co- that connection to UFO isn't isn't all the way there. But yeah, they, they don't last very long. They Basically, Fast Eddie Clark keeps trying to make it work. And he has to bring in other people on and off. And uh, there's this weird... <laughs> Do you remember the movie Trick or Treat, the eighties movie? Absolutely. (laughs) Tell me about your experience with that movie. (laughs) Uh, I remember. I don't know if I ever watched it, but I remember seeing the cover Uh, every every Friday night. It's like the UFO of movies. Yes, (laughs) I remember seeing it at Marvin's Market in Stanley, Kentucky, where we would stop and we would rent. Three movies. One for me, one for my sister, one for my parents. But you were never allowed to get trick-or-treat for yourself. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Though my, my parents have never cared what I watched. But they would just be like, no, you're not getting that. So so they were on the soundtrack to trick-or-treat. And I guess in the, the lead-up to trick-or-treat, it seemed like it was going to be a big deal. Like trick-or-treat was going to be huge. The film does is not huge, but the soundtrack kind of puts Fastway out there as a metal band, and so uh, it, it actually the the soundtrack. So the movie, like no one's seen the movie; they've just seen it in in Marvin's Fast Mart or whatever it's called. <laughs> but they they were actually on the Billboard Top 200. That freaking soundtrack was for eleven months. <laughs> eleven eleven months. months. Yeah. Wow, that would be like a really cool find at a at an old vinyl store. Because like, I don't know. See, since you collect CDs for some reason, I stop it. Vinyl is vinyl loves heavy metal so much; it's crazy. Like you mean it sounds good on vinyl, or people no, no, who no, make no, no, vinyl no. just mean, like to put heavy metal? People on it. that dig vinyl love metal. Like you okay. can go into any any record store, and there's tons and tons of metal. So this, the, the little bit of success they get, the little bit of success they get from the Trick or Treat soundtrack uh, basically breaks up the band. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to handle success. It was too much. Trick or Treat was, was too, too much. much. <laughs> oh, man. That's a really good one. Okay. Uh, thank you for the letter, Eric. Now let's uh, let's go back to the mailbag. Here's one from Greg. Greg writes the show and says, what happened to that band of the civil wars? They were only around for like five years. They won four Grammys and then they broke up and we haven't really heard from them again. Were they a couple? (laughs) That's what everybody wants to know, man. So this is the one I listed your help on. I asked you this question and you, you pretty quickly got back to me and said, that's the question. Everyone what that's the question that broke them up. That's it's literally a Google prompt was are the civil wars married? So tell tell me the story of the civil war. Start at the beginning. Okay. So Joy Williams was a Christian artist 
back in the day. So this is how I know about when they came out. I was like, I remember going to the Christian record store and looking at covers of things. And I remember Joy Williams was on Forefront Records in the 90s. Now, this means nothing to 90% of the audience. But you know what I'm talking about. We're, we're basically speaking Chinese to each other. We're understanding <laughs> each other. Everybody else is like, what? So let me, let me just explain Forefront Records. And the, I think the best way to explain Forefront Records is they had DC Talk, right? I mean... Yes, they did. That's the closest I can get to like just putting it into, into something you might understand. And DC Talk was, to us, like, what's the comparison? They were the coolest band in Christian music, which isn't like the I don't, I don't that's not like a big superlative <laughs> that's, that's such a that's such an academic way of saying it yeah that's it's not the uh it doesn't mean they were super cool but they were the coolest band in christian music hey true story about dc talk i stayed home from a school trip in the seventh grade so i could mow a schizophrenic guy's yard no rake a schizophrenic guy's yard to make enough money to go see the tour at at was it the Louisville Gardens or Freedom Hall? I can't remember. But it was uh both DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline. Yes. Audio Adrenaline, which the the lead singers from Owensboro. Really? Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. They were really from Kentucky. So they were. and then the lead singer of DC Talk Went after the guy, the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, like late career, can't sing anymore. Like the doctors won't let him sing. Yeah. One of the guys from DC Talk goes and is the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline for a while. This is some we good stuff. We we don't want to get down the incestuous <laughs> road of contemporary Christian music because people people there's no sound when someone turns off an iPhone, <laughs> but there will somehow be a sound of people turning it off. Not wanting to listen to us. Uh, okay, okay. So let's just say that I, we both knew who Joy Williams was long before the Civil Wars, and now let's talk instead of about boring Christian music stuff about about very interesting sexual tension in music. So Joy Williams, Christian artist, and then this happens, and then uh, she meets John Paul Williams. Is that, is that his real name? And, that sounds fake. John Paul Williams. You know what? Every John Paul I've ever met, I've thought were cool people. So okay, I, okay, Murdoch would vouch for that. He has a John Paul, John Paul Keith, a musician, a friend of his. I get it. Okay, but Continue. most of the time, people people named John Paul are they go by JP. Sure. Okay, but so anyway, they met at a some sort of workshop in Nashville. They both lived in Nashville. Oh, not some sort of workshop. So did you do you know who they were writing for? It was a secret. Now, so I have a background in country music, as we've talked about, which is weird. And so I know about this sort of stuff. But in Nashville, they will do this thing where they'll get a bunch of songwriters and they'll say, hey, you're like ghostwriting for an artist. But they won't tell you who the artist is. Potentially because maybe they want to reinvent the artist's sound or they don't want that informing what they do or whatever, right? And so they had like eight people in this room, Joy and John being two of them, but they were writing supposedly for a band who does go on to have a couple of quasi-hits on country radio. Do you remember the band Gloriana? Gloriana. 
I do not. I, that late late two thousands really country is it's not my specialty at all. Yeah, unfortunately, it is one of mine. Yeah, so they had a song called "Kiss You Goodnight." I we I worked with them on a show at some point. And I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember that their tour manager was very hard to work with. That's my main takeaway about Gloriana. Anyway, so they're they're at a songwriting, an incognito songwriting convention thing or whatever for Gloriana, and they meet each other. Proceed. Yeah, they meet each other and they just they just hit it off. They start they start writing music uh, together. They they play. I think their first show was was somewhere in New Orleans at like some dive bar i'm sure which all all bars in new orleans are really dive bars but uh someone recorded them and i was i believe was that where charlie peacock first yeah so actually recorded them so here's yeah charlie peacock becomes a big player in this story he's a huge part of the civil war story we're circling back to christian music he's a big name in christian music so couple things about charlie peacock one i heard charlie peacock in the early nineties. I was I would have been eleven years old when this album came out. It has this song on it that I listen to today. And I remember thinking it was cool when I was a kid and I listened to it today and I was like, Oh, this is ripping off simultaneously ripping off both Paul Simon and Men at Work. <laughs> that's hard to do. That's <laughs> I don't know how that, he did that, it. Some talent. I don't know how he did it. Uh but yeah, so Charlie Peacock was was an artist himself. And then he became a producer and he started a record label called Rethink Records in the mid-90s. And in this, so he's doing all this A&R, like artist development at this point. And he goes to a, and I don't have this story, like I haven't researched this story, I just know this story off the top of my head, so little details may be wrong. But he basically goes to like some sort of showcase for Christian music and these surfer brothers from San Diego show up. And, oh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, and and they and this is why Charlie Peacock's so important to me because I love this band. And he ends up signing to Rethink Records. John, his brother Tim, and their best friend Chad, who are the core of what goes on to be Switchfoot. So that's the big tie into modern music before the Civil Wars, and then so he basically has two big crossover mainstream hits. Between these two, but yeah, he so he hears them. So show one is Charlie Peacock. Do you know who? Do you know who show two was with? Did you see this in the research? Was it T Bone Burnett? No, it's one of my favorite Nash unsung Nashville songwriter guys, Will Hogue. Oh, I love Will Hogue. I love Will Hogue. So they open for Will Hogue the next night. So they, I mean, they're connected, right? They know people. They know Nashville people. So they get a they get a couple of good gigs. But yeah, they get in front of Charlie Peacock and Charlie Peacock is the third member basically for the for the extent of their career. Yeah, so so he he records them uh live at Eddie's attic and it just it it just started growing. They recorded the EP um what was it? uh Barton um help me here. Uh Barton Hollow, is that what it's called? Barton Hollow, yeah. And the the huge 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 song they had was uh, poison and wine, and it just blew up. It was on Grey's Anatomy, and that show has just—it's it, one of those things that they showcase new music. I mean, there's just been tons of artists that have gotten huge breaks from there. There really was a point where it was more 
beneficial for you to be on the Grey's Anatomy soundtrack for 30 seconds during the show than to have a single on Top 40 Radio? Like yeah, with a certain segment of people. Yeah. Supposedly they uploaded their, their album like almost the second that the, the Grey's Anatomy, the first run, and they had that. And boom, it was on iTunes and it just caught, caught like wildfire. Well, so they, that happens. And then they get this opportunity to work with T-Bone Burnett and someone else who's really famous at the time and only goes on to be one of the most famous people in the world. They, they literally write a song with Taylor Swift. Yeah. And, and if you listen to the Civil Wars, you can tell how, uh, you, you, you can tell how much Taylor Swift's like later stuff is very much influenced by, by what they've done. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the sort of the pandemic albums. Yeah, for sure. That's a great yeah. point. Oh. And, and the the other thing about this is that like I remember when this happened that the story was, and you sort of alluded to this, was that they sort of just like appeared overnight, but it which they did, but they were both incredibly connected and established before, and so it was just like yes. those two putting their superpowers together, and then they they literally because of their what they already had invested in their careers, they could like turn a turn a switch and be like a huge deal. Absolutely, absolutely. So their EP hits; it's huge. They win Grammys, um, and everything's just going great. And then all of a sudden, they're on a European tour. They cancel it. Boom. They're they're done, and they. They say that they're postponing this, and they're sort of going on hiatus. But they've already they already have like one album, and it comes out like a year later, and then one year after that, they announce they're done. They they release a B side of uh, "You Are My Sunshine" on their website, and they're gone. Yeah. So it all. I mean, to Greg's point. The, they meet like in 08. They basically disappear in 12 and then release the record at the beginning of 14. So the whole thing is six years, but the real bulk of it's like three and a half or four. Yeah. I mean, they only, they only recorded like two, two actual albums in a studio. Everything else is just like B-sides and live performances and unplugged performances. Which I don't quite understand unplugged. I mean, they were already unplugged. How can you get more unplugged than what they were? So did you did you enjoy the Civil Wars when they were a thing? Were you a listener? Were you a fan? I wasn't really that big into them. Um, and I don't know why. It, it might just be because I've never really gravitated to a lot of duo musical groups. It's just never, and I don't know... I don't really know why that is, but it's just never been never been one of those things that I gravitate towards. So let's talk real quickly before we get to the big question, which is were they sleeping together? Which is basically what's haunted them for the rest of their their you know I, I think still yeah. to this day. Uh, so they do this four song EP that has it's all covers, and they do Elliot Smith, they do Portishead. Sour Times, which is crazy that they did that. And also Shouts because, uh, uh, oh man, why is her name escaping my face? Uh, the lead singer of Portishead 
has disappeared and then like is back on the new Kendrick record. She like sings a hook. Beth Gibbons. She sings on the new Kendrick record, which is cool. Anyway, uh, they do the romantics talking in your sleep. And then they do Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. When you listen to it, you just think this is sex on a cracker. <laughs> like it is the sexiest song ever. Actually, that whole that whole four song EP is really it, it is it's oozing with sexuality. So this is the thing. So I this is funny. We get this letter, and then totally unrelated. I'm at the bar with somebody. And they were talking about acts, unrelated. We're, t- we're going to see an act, and we're talking about that act, and we're talking about other things. And somebody says, hey, who was that act that broke up because everybody thought they were sleeping together? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they were like, man, what, who was it? And they like sort of thought about it. They may have pulled out their phone, and they're like, oh, it was this band, The Civil Wars. And I was like, are you kidding me? That was Because I said, I, we just got a letter from a guy who was asking about this. Is that why they broke up? And this guy was like, I don't know, man. That was the rumor. The rumor was that that they broke up because everybody thought they were sleeping together. So I I want to know your take on this and what you found in the research. I found a little bit, but I, I hit me with what you know. My take is this. I think they were just rumors. I, it, it's one of those things that naturally people are going to talk about rumors when, when you have these two really talented people that are singing love songs it's it's just one of those things that people people naturally are going to assume that that they're together why why is that and that's probably unfair well yeah i mean so like let's look at this through other examples right so the one that comes to mind that's sort of a contemporary like slightly precedes this one is glenn hansard and oh margarita do you know her last name uh, don't even don't even get me trying to. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm it. sorry. I'm missing her name. I'll look it's it up. Swell season. Swell season. So yeah. they're part of, and, and this bridges into another favorite subject of mine, which is the movies of John Carney. So this guy John Carney has made three movies, and they're all about music. So they're three of my favorite movies. They're in my top ten, all three of them. But the first one, they ends up getting turned into a Broadway musical, and is still a big deal is this movie That's right i forgot about that a movie called once and it features glenn hansard who is a famous musician in ireland do i have that right i'm doing this without notes yes i believe so um and so the frames are a famous band there they're only quasi famous in the u.s and he gets his buddy Glenn to be in this movie, and it's basically like looks like it was shot on a camcorder. Wait, what's your thought of Once? Do you like it? It's been a long time. I remember me and my wife watching it, and we were newly married when it came out. And I remember her saying, "When are they going to sing the song that I listen to on the radio? Because this is boring." <laughs> That's exactly and, her words, and, the, and I don't so, think I ever picked it back up. I really liked it, uh, but you have to. But it is you got to sort of get in it with your brain because. It is basically these two people walking around the city talking and occasionally playing music together. And it's it's you sort of watch them fall in love is the, is the idea of the story. And then outside of the film, my understanding is that they do have a relationship after this, maybe, or, or as it's happening. The first album of Swell Season was them falling in love. The second was them breaking up. Right. And there's like a big age difference, as I remember it. There's like a lot there. I, that seems right. But... What's really interesting is that 
John Carney makes a movie after this. Like, he, he's so successful with this movie that he gets an American studio to bankroll his next film. And they basically let him, it looks to me, like they let him spend all the money he wants on cast. And so it's chock full of famous pretty people, including Kiera Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. And have you seen this movie? It's called Begin Again. Oh, I remember. I, I sort of remember that, but I, I don't remember ever actually watching it. So I honestly thought you were going to say Mamma Mia. <laughs> no, no. So Begin Again is uh, is a favorite movie of mine, too. And part of the reason I like it, and this is where I'm going with this. I know it seems like, where is he going? So it is a story about this older music producer who's down on his luck, who finds this young woman, Kira Knightley, in a bar playing music, and they start a musical partnership together, and it resurrects his career and starts hers. And meanwhile, he is trying to repair his old relationship with his ex-wife, played by Catherine Keener. And the whole time, you think this is going to turn into a love story between the Mark Ruffalo character and the Kira Knightley character. And it never does. It's never sexual. It never even really gets sort of there. And it's a really interesting statement piece to drop sort of in the middle of the swell season story. And then the civil war story, which is, is a little after with, which is the same story, right? Which is about this sexual tension of a man and a woman performing together. And is it, it can, can you have that and not act on it or not even want to act on it and create this romantic air that people, this thing people buy into and want to be a part of. Well, it's, it's the reason why there's not really a lot of duos. I mean, think of almost every single musical duo you can think of. They either A, hated each other, or B, loved each other and then began to hate each other. <laughs> like, emotionally and sexually. Well, I mean, this we've done an episode about Fleetwood Mac, right? This is the whole Fleetwood Obviously. Mac story. It's the I mean, it's the obvious one, but it's the whole Fleetwood Mac story. It's breaking up and getting back together and breaking up and now now her and him and now him and her. And so that's the template that everything has come after. And so because of that, especially and I think it I think it's harder for acts that are in what I would call the Fleetwood Mac ballpark, right? I mean, both Swell Season and Civil Wars are living in that acoustic male-female sort of land, right? It's not like they're well, playing hardcore punk. No, no. In all honesty, I think uh, whenever I think of the Civil Wars, I think more of uh, Richard and Linda Thompson. Oh, okay. That's an interesting comparison. Well, and they're sort of in the same genre-ish. And, and yeah, but... The, the thing about duos is, like, I remember growing up and hearing Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers singing Islands in the Stream. Oh, there you go. And for a five-year-old boy, guess what? Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers were married in my <laughs> mind. And right? it's just that way. Yeah, the Dolly and Kenny thing is a, is a really good example of, and I think I probably thought that too at some point. And I remember thinking this now, I know... You didn't play in bands and stuff like Murdoch and I did growing up, right? No. 
But I mean, I mentioned that this guitar that I was really infatuated with when I was younger was probably because I was infatuated with the girl who was holding it. And she was briefly in our band, right? It, I always sort of had this fantasy of being in the in a band with a cool rocker chick. And so, but but if I like sit with that and try to figure out why did I think that was cool or why would I want to be in a band with a girl, like what are the motivations, right? Is it about some sort of sexual chemistry? I don't know. Like that's a really that's a funny thing to sort of try to unpack. And it's it's just the way it's the way our minds are sort of wired. I mean, that's that's what we but, all, but, we but what, think what that. wired them that way? I mean, is that like an evolutionary thing or is that just like pop culture because of the Fleetwood Mac phenomenon? I don't know. Maybe a little bit of both. Sure. And, and it's it's one of those things that it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that. Um, I, it should be that someone is in a band and they can sing together in these amazingly emotional and intimate. Um, songs that they just immediately think of sexual intimacy instead of just like real relation intimacy right which is totally fine which a lot of people have in this life right yeah no that's 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 true and i feel like this is lessening because and partly because i'm listening to more and more like, like queer bands who are very you know they've got different sort of lineups on, on who's playing what and how many of how many females versus males. And like all of that, I think is sort of shifting, especially in the more, in the rock and roll fate sort of sort of area. But yeah, when you, when you get a duo who sings slow songs together, it does sort of, it is a weird thing. It is a weird thing to listen to those civil war songs and just think that like, Oh no, they were just buddies. Think of every duo you can think of. They are either related or they're married. I mean, that's just pretty much it. Her dad, her, not her dad, her husband was their tour manager. Yes. That's got to be weird for that guy. So there is, when they broke up, he wouldn't do press. John Paul. Yeah. She did. And there's this 2000, yeah, there's this 2013 interview with NPR where they literally, I'm just going to read from it. Your song lyrics have always been very intimate and your stage presence and your videos and your photographs that you took together all played on this notion of coupledom and intimacy. This was sort of part of the narrative. And then she says, yes, it was. It was part of the unforeseen myth that we inadvertently created. And the NPR interviewer says, but also fostered. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, have you listened to your Billie Jean cover? Come on, it's sex on a cracker. Uh And so she, this is Joy responding. Yeah, exactly. While John Paul and I were not together, there was the sense on stage that I could represent the, this is, she gets so weird with this language. There was this sense on stage that I could represent the female aspect of thought and feeling. And that could very easily play over into the idea of relationships for some people that come to our shows. Yeah, what? Yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, It, it's what they were, and that's fine. It's great. They made amazing songs that that were great. There, there were great songs about relationships with between men and women, and that's great. Well, and what's funny is that this NPR interviewer does not let up. We'll obviously put this in the show notes, but she says... Um, the myth was something that, you know, had to be dealt with and treated very carefully because we were happily married to other people. And the NPR 
interviewer says, was that a dangerous thing, do you think? And she says, yeah, it's playing with fire. Looking back, there was so much power in that, and that's where a lot of the inspiration for our music came from, within the tension. And so she goes through this whole thing about tension. And then the interviewer says, listen, I, I just watched the video for Poison and Wine, and you guys are practically making out at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Look at the Spotify, at the, at the at their photo on Spotify. It's It's her behind him spooning him. And it's just like, yeah, I can understand why people would think that. Yeah, she literally says, well, you know, we actually weren't very close in the video. Just we made it look that way. That's her response to that question. And whether they did or they didn't, it's not a big deal. But, you know, in the end, they made they made some really good songs. They won four Grammys. And that's 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 something that not a lot of people can hang on their mantle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can tell in this interview that she is very upset about the whole thing. Yeah. And and, and evidently the, evidently when when during the Grammy she had just found out she was pregnant. And so, I mean, obviously if if a woman's getting pregnant, if she gets pregnant when she's on tour with somebody, there uh, people are automatically going to assume things. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. What a crazy story. And and I and just to be clear, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way things are. Because if if you if you watch the video to ex- extremes more than words, those dudes they might be in love with each other too. <laughs> they are singing that song to each other as passionately uh, as any other song ever. Well, it's really funny that you say that because this is I'll close with this anecdote. So I saw uh, Lucius with some friends recently, and if you know anything about the band Lucius. They actually come out sort of right, right at the end of Civil Wars. This is when they show up, 2014. And it's it's a female duo talking about duos, right? And I think the story on them is that they're old college friends. They got to singing together. But watching them perform, they face each other and look. I mean, they're very close to each other for most of the show. And I leaned over to my buddy at one point and I said, you couldn't be mad at the other person. I, I I couldn't. Maybe they could. And maybe you learn to, to you know, put those things aside and then walk on stage. But I think it would be very hard to be upset with the person with whom you have to be that close to on stage every night. It's not even like a guitar player and a bass player who are, you know, on opposite ends of the stage. I mean, if you're in a rock band, you've got a little bit of distance in most cases. But when you're a duet who's singing the same, they don't even, I mean, they do some harmony, but a lot of it is they're singing the same vocal line and they're, keeping eye contact the entire show. Man, that's a real, it is a very intense intimacy. Taking romance out of it, it is a level of connection with another person that is really intense. Yeah, that's that's something that's hard to fake. Yeah, it doesn't seem, and, and so they ask her, they ask Joy in this old interview about, you know, if you guys were sort of falling out with each other, but still having to go on stage every night, how did you do that? And she basically says, like, oh, we were just sort of able to turn it on and off. But I just, that's, and, and I guess you'd have to if your livelihood depended on it and if there was enough at stake. But then I would say, like, if there's enough at stake and there's nothing sexual about this and, like, you're just you're just annoyed by it enough to drop it all. Like, it seems like something had to happen. I'm not saying it was sexual, but I think something had to happen. Yeah. Even the breakup, even when they, the band broke up, they talked about iris, 
uh, irreconcilable artistic differences or something or aspirations yeah. Irre- irreconcilable aspirations I mean that word that word's in court documents that's, <laughs> that's not one of those things that like if I'm mad at you I just say I'm mad at Brian yeah 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 that's true that's true irreconcilable differences even if you put you know artistic or aspirational in between those two words is still comes out pretty harsh. So I, I don't know if we solved the mystery for Greg, but I think we had a, a decent discussion and we got to talk about Christian Rock and my favorite, one of my favorite filmmakers. So this feels like a big win for me. Yeah, and, and just, for the, just for the record, Sex on a Cracker, that would definitely be the name of an album by Chris Gaines. <laughs> oh my God. We are the story guys at gmail.com. If you want to get involved, if you have a question, uh, shoot it to us. It could end up in a full episode or one of these mailbag things. We love hearing from you. We love talking to you. Thanks for listening. Head to iTunes, leave a review, uh, send us a note. It's not even called iTunes anymore. What's it called? Apple Music? I sound like a 90-year-old man. Um, head to that wherever you listen to the show. Wherever you listen to the show, leave a review, uh, tell your friends, and what do, we, what do we need to keep doing until next time, Life? Keep telling stories. Thanks, buddy.